you so, so very, very much. My heart has been blessed. The music has just been so lovely. I, I cannot com compliment you enough about music. And um, such, such a humble young lady who would be willing uh, to sing that song with that kind of passion uh, and compassion. Uh, it was almost as if, uh, if the Lord had spoken to her right then, she would be gone. And who knows, that may happen one day. And so thank you for being a blessing, ladies. That's fantastic. Well, as I've said, thank you for being faithful, too. And many of you have been here every night, and God bless you for it. Uh, I told Pastor this afternoon, or this morning when we were together, I said, I preached a little bit long. I said, I hope I didn't scare the crowd too bad. Uh, went a little bit over. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. Well, you don't know what they used to tell me down at Crosspoint when we would have our staff meetings. And uh, I would start a, a message, and I would probably get through maybe the introduction or the first point. Uh, and I would say, well, I will finish this tonight. Well, when you're a pastor, you have that privilege. Your pastor preaches series. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and so they would tease me, especially Pastor Chris, who, um, like a spiritual father to him, and he says, yes, pastor, he said, your sermons are like baloney. You just cut it off anywhere you want to. <laughs> now, I didn't laugh. I was laughing inside, but I wanted to scare him. And I was real sober. And I said, that is gourmet baloney. <laughs> these messages this week, I've had so much fun building these messages. And uh, they really stack on top of each other. And tonight, I want you to go back to the book of Philippians, please, chapter 1. If you were here on Sunday morning, you heard me preach from the fourth chapter of this book. It's a fantastic, wonderful book. It, it has become my favorite. Someone has asked, what's your favorite book? It seems to be the one that I'm into at that time. Uh, it changes. But, uh, of course, let me remind you uh, that this epistle was written from prison, uh, and there were three of those epistles that were written to churches. Of course, one was written, as you well know, to Philemon, his friend. But uh, <clears throat> when we looked at chapter 4, it lays out the obligation of the church to the missionary. And we looked at that obligation, and we talked about fruit. It's, it's amazing. Fruit will come up in this text again uh, this evening. And <clears throat> when you get to chapter 1... It's interesting. Chapter 1 is Paul opening his heart where he, where he instructs, he, he prayerfully teaches uh, <clears throat> what the church means to him and how that relationship developed. So the church's obligation to the missionary, the missionary's obligation to the local church. And that's where we are tonight uh, in, in this text. I mentioned that there were three churches. Of course, Ephesus would be one. Started on Paul's second missionary journey. And he returned to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. He highlighted their faith and their love. By the way, this makes for a great series of sermons on Paul's prayers in these prison epistles. Uh, but uh, he found them very wise, understanding. He complimented them about it. He reminded them about the power of the resurrection at Ephesus. Uh, he, 
His close friendship developed over the three years he was there. He was there longer than he was any other church. And so he spent that time teaching them. And one of the things that he taught them is that, and he was quoting Christ, of course, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So isn't it interesting that Paul is speaking to these churches from prison about their, about their giving? Of course, we know that uh, at the end of his three-year uh, call there, and again, it goes to this matter being sent, then the Lord closed that door and opened another door and sent him somewhere else. And we learned about those two words sent uh, last night. But here's, here's a, a, a thumbnail sketch of their closeness. And, and I feel like it's important for us to see it. We, we'll get to Ephesus here, or get to uh, Philippi in just a moment. But I want you to listen to this, these verses. And when he had thus spoken, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Pastor Brent, you may have trouble with that. They fell on his neck and kissed him and hugged him. Those were holy kisses. There's, by the way, the Bible does speak about holy kisses. Uh, I'm not going to go there tonight. Pastor will deal with that. He, he's great at it. <laughs> and the verse goes on, say, on to say, Soaring most of all, for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Now, Ephesus, I want you to think with me just for a moment. Put your thinking cap on. And let's go from this time, literal time, and let's move forward some 30 years. And now we're at Ephesus in the book of the Revelation. And the Bible reminds us, John reminds us, by 30 years down the road, Jesus was saying, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. So a 30-year span of time changed the church completely. And then there was the church at Colossae. This was one of the few cities that Paul never visited. Uh, Epaphras, he started this church. He had heard Paul preach in Philippi. And he took the gospel back and started a church uh, there in his home. And it grew from there. And Paul talked about how he thanked God for them because he only heard, and that's what the text says, since we heard of your faith, he'd never seen them to compliment them, but he had heard of their faith in Christ and their love. It's interesting that, that love and faith and giving just repeat themselves in the themes of these prayers. Uh, to all the saints, for your hope in the gospel, gospel always comes up in these prayers, which bringeth forth fruit. We'll have fruit again tonight. As you learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. So he was complimenting what Epaphras had taught them. Now we get to our text. In these first opening verses of the first chapter of Philippi. And we see what Paul had done in chapter 4. And now we are going to look at what I call a teaching prayer. And Paul reveals the kind of relationship the missionary desires with his supporting church. Now, sometimes in a missions conference, you don't hear messages like this. Because usually we hear messages about the Great Commission and what we should be doing. And, and we have heard that this week. 
not minimizing that at all. What I wanted you to see is not just the giving part, the, the obligation of the church to the missionary and praying and giving, but I want you to see the heart of the missionary and what he, what he wanted to let them know about his heart. And when we look at it from this, it's a real teaching time for them. Now, we know that he, that he was praying to the Lord, but he was praying within earshot of the people at Philippi. People learn and they grow even in prayer time. Some of the largest steps I took as a young Christian was when my pastor and I would pray together. And I would listen to what he had to say. Now, he was talking to the Lord, but it was in my presence. And you, you hear the heart of a person when you hear them pray. So it is as if he is exposing to his supporting churches an obligation he wants to feel from them. And because of that, we come to what I call a proposition or the big idea. And I want you to see this clearly tonight. Paul's teaching prayer to the church at Philippi reveals his heart of love for them. If we listen carefully, we can learn from his prayer and apply his prayer principles to our lives. And that is so critical as we listen to the prayer, as Paul spoke to the Lord in the ears of the people that he loved. So let's begin our reading in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. There's our key word prayer. For you all making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I remember the first time I walked along the river. I remember those times that we had together. Being confident, verse 6, which is a wonderful verse for us. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you, now watch the closeness, I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds, that's a reference to his imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. So Paul is simply saying to them, God has been so gracious to me. And because you have been a part of that and you're so much in my heart that you are partakers of that grace. That has a depth to it that I think sometimes if we skim over that we would miss it. Verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, there's our word again, that your love may abound yet more and more. And how may it abound? Notice what it says, in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. 
Watch the word fruit come up again in the last verse of our text. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. What are the fruits of righteousness? He wanted them to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. Father, help us as we look at this paragraph, how thrilling it is to see the heart of Paul toward these people. Obviously, Lord, he loved them dearly. They were in his heart. He so wanted that relationship to be right that just as the church had obligations to them, he felt these obligations to the church. Help us as we allow Paul's prayer to teach us tonight to help us to learn as a church the heart of a missionary and how he wants the church that supports him to respond. We pray, dear Lord, that you would help us as we see these simple thoughts today. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. There are five brief things I want to show you from this passage of Scripture about Paul's prayer for these people. One has to do with their relationship. One has to do with their companionship. The third one had to do with their scholarship. The fourth one had to do with their partnership that we learned about this week. And the fifth had to do with their stewardship. Now let's pull these thoughts and these words out of the text as we walk down through this this evening together. First thing I want you to see is what I call Paul remembered their relationship. This is verses 3 through 8. It's the largest amount of verses. It, they're powerful. Notice the priceless memories, first of all, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Obviously, these memories had become priceless to the missionary. Always in every prayer of mine, verse 4 says, for you all making requests with joy. I understand and remember joy was the theme of the book I mentioned on Sunday. So he brings up their greatest value and virtue, all connected to their unity. And in Acts 16, if we had time to turn there, and I don't want you to take the time to turn there, but there are five outstanding events that happened at Philippi recorded in Acts chapter 16 that, that would weld their heart together. Let me just point them out to you. You're well taught. You're going to be able to click these off in your mind because you have read Acts 16 before. The first thing that I mark in Acts 16 is, of course, the Macedonian call, the call of God to go over from Troas, Asia Minor, into Southern Europe. Of course, how would, how would Paul ever forget that? It's because of that Macedonian call that he went over and the first church that he planted was along the river there at Philippi. And then there's the conversion 
of Lydia, the seller of purple. If you read that passage carefully, you'll find out that the Bible says that God opened her heart to the gospel. But before the end of the chapter in Acts 16, when they were in trouble running from the religious leaders, she not only opened her heart to the gospel, but she opened her home for their safety. The woman truly got saved. And then there was the deliverance of the demonic girl. And then, of course, the earthquake and the deliverance of Paul and Silas. And then that famous question, how will we ever forget this question? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What events, those were indelibly pressed upon the mind and heart of the apostle. He certainly viewed these memories as priceless jewels. And it bonded their hearts together. It is what caused him to say, I have you in my heart. Then in verse 5, we go from the priceless memories that he remembered about their relationship to the partnership he formed with them. Look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And you know, I mentioned to you it's been 12 years. And the Apostle Paul, many people believe that he got a third trip to Philippi before he took a final trip to Rome. But think about that just for a moment. Paul spoke about their fellowship in the gospel. You see, there is a partnership that is formed when the missionary and the supporting church come together. In that partnership, they become interested in the church. They become interested not only in their missionary, but the missionary becomes interested in their church, a fellowship. We heard uh, from Brother Hostetler. Hostetler. We heard from him tonight. Amazing. We're, we're partners. You are partners with him. And Paul spoke, spoke about their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Many of the mission fields that Dolly and I have had the privilege over the years to visit, we would get follow-up letters or emails now. And, and almost every time, a national would say, I thank God for our fellowship in the gospel. Where do they get that statement? They get it from God's word. And then we see the promise he presented to them in verse 6. This is an incredible teaching moment in the church. Now you have to remember in first century Christianity, they were getting saved out of all walks of life, out of paganism, out of religion, all sorts of stuff going on in their minds. And so Paul wanted to be a great encouragement to this church. And in his prayer, he mentions this wonderful verse that all of us could probably quote, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now what I like about this verse is what I dug out of it in my research. Our English words, hath begun, is just one Greek word. And it is the word in which we get our English word, commence. Now, think about this just for a moment. This word, commence, hath begun, hath started, 
This, this matter of salvation that, that has been started in your life will continue. God will see to it. He'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to think about. It's only found one other time in the New Testament. This word, this phrase in our English language hath begun. And it's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Don't turn there. But I just want you to know that in both passages... It deals deeply with our salvation and our eternal relationship that we have with our Savior, Jesus Christ. It becomes one of those verses that helps us to understand God's plan for our life. He will perform it, or he will complete it, or he will perfect it, and he will finish it. You know, that removes all of any of the abilities that I think, which I don't have much, but any of the abilities that I would think I would have, I have to throw them to the wind and say, God, you saved me. God, you called me. God, you filled me. You directed me and you have sent me. And I'm trusting in you in all this. Now, you might not believe this. But growing up, I was an introvert. If you would have told me that I would be standing in this church preaching the gospel 45 years ago before I was called, I would have literally laughed at you. Because that was not my nature. But God is able to take us just the way he made us and use us for his glory and perform it, continue it, perfect it, and finish it in our life. We're totally and completely dependent upon him and not our flesh. Completely and totally. And so Paul is opening his heart to these people and telling them some of the greatest truths. His teaching prayer is doing that. Paul remembered their relationship. But I want you to see with me that Paul longed for their love, beginning in verse 7. Now, Paul prayed for their love to be as real as his love was for them. And he does this three different ways. And I want you to see it in the text. It's, it's easy for us to, to see and pick out. Notice with me, first of all, as he longed for their love, that Paul expressed the depth of his love for them. He spoke about having them in his heart. Look at verse 7. Because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul was admitting, I'm chained in this Roman prison. But I want you to know that I love you. I'm thankful for you. I have you in my heart. And I, I am dependent upon you. This is what he wants from the church. Be a defender of the gospel. Confirm the gospel. Preach the gospel. You are all partakers of my grace. He was saying, you may never be arrested, and if you are, God's grace will be with you. But he was entrusting the church to be faithful in the defense of the gospel. Stand up for it. 
in the matter of confirming the gospel, preaching the gospel, he expressed the depth of his love. For God is my record, Paul said very emphatically, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now let me speak to this phrase, bowels of Jesus Christ. We do not use this word in our English language, especially as a love language. We don't use this word. But in the old country, they did. And they did because in the translation, the translation was speaking directly to the reference of the inter-organs of the human body that react to intense physical and emotional needs as they come into our life. In essence, the bowels of mercy Paul speaks about and the bowels of Jesus Christ refers to the seat of our emotions. And we all have them. Now, some are calmer than others. I'm not very calm when it comes to emotions. I have to control myself. The ironing board did not work in the room this afternoon. And I had to bring myself under subjection or else I was going to throw the iron and the ironing board out in the hallway. That would not have been very nice. And so I, I know that I struggle in this area. Our emotions, the seed of our emotions. And sometimes it is the seedbed of whether or not we're happy or we're melancholy. So when it speaks of bowels and the bowels of Jesus Christ... It is truly, and here's what I found out, it is truly the strongest word that Paul could use to speak about their companionship and how their relationship and how he loved them in the bowels of Jesus Christ. It was and is a love or a longing that involves our entire being. Now, poetry today, love poetry, the love language that we have. You may have heard about the college student who wanted to write a poem to the girl that he kind of felt sweet on. And our, our, our poetry goes something like this. He wrote this note to his hope-to-be girlfriend and said... Roses are red and violets are blue. Honey is sweet and so are you. Now we, we understand that kind of love language, don't we? Of course, she wrote back, Roses are red and violets are blue and monkeys like you belong in the zoo. <laughs> that's, that's a good freshman recourse if you get a love letter your freshman college year. We just don't use bowels. I've written my wife a lot of poetry. Some I could read to my children and some I could not. But I wrote her poetry over the years. But she never got a poem like this from me because she would think it very strange. Roses are red and violets are blue. Let me count the ways I love you. 
The alphabet contains five bowels. Honey, I love you with all my bowels. We don't talk that way. We would say our heart. And so you and I, we learn something from this, the depth of this phrase. The bowels of Jesus Christ. He was stirred in his heart. They were partners. They were, they were fellowshipping in the gospel. And he wanted them to defend the gospel. And confirm the gospel. And he could not have used any, any greater language than the language that we have in the Holy Scriptures tonight before us. Secondly, I want you to see that Paul encouraged them to develop this abounding love. Notice in verse 9, if you would, please. And this I pray, that your love, this is what he's talking about, may abound yet more and more. And the word abound has to do with superabounding. I mean, it's over the top. It's excessive. It's constantly excelling. It is increasing abundantly over and over and over. And this is what Paul was wanting in his relationship with the church there at Philippi. And Paul instructed them to expand their love one for another. Because he knew their love would grow beyond their boundaries. And that's why he was doing it. Because he knew that he would not be the only one. That there would be many to come behind him. And now here we are. Now watch this. Here we are 21 centuries down the road. Taking a piece of poetic scripture. And examining it tonight. As we come to hear Paul's prayer in his heart. For the people. It brings the people to him. And we are to reach out. With the love of God and the joy in our hearts and great unity, we're to reach out. Let me point out one more thing before we leave this. I said there were three of them. And that is Paul's high expectations of their love. Look at verse 9. I wish I had time to develop it, but let me just touch on it. In knowledge. Now watch this carefully. And in all judgment. You see, their love was to be guided by biblical knowledge, discernment, being able to make correct judgment calls. And does not our life get filled with judgment calls that we have to make? Sure they do. With our families, at work, in the church. Paul wanted them to be guided by truth. He did not want it to be shallow and superficial. He wanted them to be strong, defenders of the gospel, confirming the gospel, having great discernment, being able to make good judgment calls. He knew they were headed for persecution. You see, this kind of love really keeps people from getting their feelings hurt. This kind of love, this, this abundant love, would keep them from quitting when hard times come, when difficult times come. And Paul knew they were coming. Have you ever noticed how little it takes for people to quit church once they start? They are missing, now watch this, they are missing the root of the love of God. 
God's love in our heart keeps us from quitting. I could write an entire chapter on reasons my flesh wanted to quit from time to time, but I refused to do it. I even refused to go there. This kind of love will keep them from forsaking their church. They will be a part of the assembly, and they will be faithful to the church. This kind of love nurtures doctrine and application of that doctrine to our lives. It will change us. This love would allow them to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And this love would destroy gossip and cliques and unnecessary schisms in the church. All of this because Paul longed for their love. He had remembered their relationship. But quickly, would you see with me the third of five things in verse 10, and that is Paul commended their character. That you may approve things that are excellent. Paul prayed for them to examine all things so they would be able to be good discerners in every aspect of their life. He called on them to put every decision to the test, to approve it, a term used to assess and evaluate precious metals and even money and their genuineness. It was a common practice. Excellent. Notice the word excellent means to differ, to consider the new life in Christ as different, yet important to live out. See, the point of the matter is the believers should be able to distinguish the more important principles of the Holy Scriptures in order to make the right priorities in their life. And I wish we had time to develop it. Their lives would be lived in light of the Spirit and not their own selfishness. And doctrine would align with Scripture. And Scripture would interpret Scripture. And the desires of men would be put on the back burner. And God's Word would come forth as they would learn how to approve things excellent. And Paul prayed for them to err on the side of safety as he, in essence, prayed that they would approve these things that really mattered. Don't get caught in, a, in dying on a hill unnecessary. And he knew that there would be good things, better things, but he also knew there would be best things. And that's what he wanted for them. So he remembered their relationship. He longed for their love. He commended their character. But Paul highlighted the dangers of hypocrisy. And this was all about them in the first century. When I say this, I'm all about them surrounding them. The hypocrisy of, of the religious people. Look at verse 10, the B part of the verse. That you, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. He was concerned for them. He wanted them to be without hypocrisy. He wanted their love to be unfeigned, is the New Testament term. And Paul desired for their faith to be genuine, their life to be genuine, their concern to be genuine, their love to be genuine. And that's where the word sincere comes in. It's, it's a word they used in the old country to judge a piece of pottery 
to be sure it wasn't cracked. They would hold it up to the sun. And if sunlight came through, they could see a crack. And, and the crooks of the day would put wax in the cracks and pass it off as a genuine piece of pottery. But a wise person would hold it up to the sun and could see. And what he was saying was that I, I want you to walk in the sun's light. I want you to be real. I don't want any cracks in your life. I want you to be a hypocrite. I want you to be genuine and real. And without offense, this, this goes to their purity. There is a little praying about purity today. And very little practice of it. We're to be honest. Honest church members. Honest in our dealings. That we not be offended. Or that we not be an offense. And you and I have that privilege and that honor. And then lastly, if you'll look with me in verse 11, our last verse for this evening. Paul favored their fruitfulness. Now I want to bring this out because we talked about fruit on Sunday. As we look at this. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Notice first of all. He prayed for this to be a filling. Let me talk with you about that word just for a moment. It appears several times in the New Testament. The same word, same exact word, which means that it has to do with being replete. It, it really means to cram to the top or to become absolutely complete, filled with all righteousness. And this word filled is used so many different times. In Ephesians 3, he talks about being filled with the fullness of God. In Ephesians 5, he talks about being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 1, he talks about being filled with the knowledge of his will. Same word. Think about this just for a moment. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he speaks to them to be filled with the joy of the Lord. So now he is talking about the fruits of righteousness. It has to do with their daily Christian character and life. It has to do with their honesty. It has to do with truth. It has to do with real love and kindness and meekness and goodness. I like what Barnes had to say about this. The wish of the apostle of this verse is that the believers might show abundantly by their lives that they were truly righteous. Paul does not refer just to their liberality in Christ, but to everything which is true and fitting and becoming of a character that loves Christ. Our lives should bear witness of that grace of God that Paul spoke of in this paragraph. And he prayed for their focus to be right unto the glory and praise of God. This is so simple and yet so needful. What a great reminder. You see, this teaching prayer of Paul to the church at Philippi serves as a challenge 
for every church with a missionary heart that loves missionaries and wants to have a real relationship with them. Best, best thing we can have tonight, you as, as a church family, is to see these videos that we've seen this week and to, and to meet the missionaries that are here. Not only should we be willing to pray that way and to love that way, but we should be willing to apply these prayer commands to our life, to love without hypocrisy. And the elements that Paul has stirred in the hearts of these dear people are elements that should stir us tonight. Are we willing to be sincere without hypocrisy? Are we willing to be pure in life's choices, free from hypocrisy with unfeigned love that we might defend the gospel, that we might have, see the heart of a missionary who loved the, his supporting church to the point that he wanted this kind of relationship. And so in his prayer, he did what Jesus did often. He taught them. I am amazed at what we can learn as we allow God to speak to our hearts, even from a simple prayer like this that has the power to change our thinking and change our life. Would you stand with me, please? Pastor's going to come. He's going to close the service as he sees fit. I trust that if God has spoken to your heart, that as he said last night,